I'm not a professional dancer. I never took a dance class a day in my life. But if you think about the oldest form of human celebration and self-expression of coming together as a village around the fire, it was and continues to be dance. If you ask anybody what their most favorite life moments are, it's a wedding they went to and danced with their family. It's a festival that they experienced. It was a concert that they danced their hearts out. It was these moments of celebration where you're bringing your body into states of complete ecstasy in unison, mostly in collective joy. Hello and welcome to The Glow Podcast. I'm Lisa Brooks-Mills. You may have heard of Daybreaker, a wellness and sober morning dance community. My guest on this episode is the co-founder, CEO, and chief community architect of Daybreaker, Radha Agrawal. Daybreaker has become a global movement in 28 cities and five continents with a community of nearly half a million people. Radha and the Daybreaker team spent the first three months of 2020 as an integral part of Oprah's vision tour. They helped set the tone for each stop on the nine arena sold out tour Supported by 30 dancers, musicians, and performers, Rada opened every stop of the tour and led 155,000 people through a motivational movement experience. Rada's best-selling book, Belong, teaches you not only why belonging is important, but also how to build community and find the people who will give you wings and bring you joy. She also shares with us information on Daybreaker Plus, an online membership platform bringing the Daybreaker experience and other joyful practices home to you. Radha believes that collective joy and belonging can help heal our world. She is inspiring with a contagious, joyful spirit. I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. Welcome, Radha. I'm so grateful to spend time with you today. I've enjoyed learning about you in preparation for our time together. I suspect many of our listeners are familiar with Daybreaker, a wellness community and sober morning dance party. So I'm excited to learn more about the latest and greatest with Daybreaker and learn about Dose and discuss your book, Belong, Find Your People, Create Community, and Live a More Connected Life. You have such lovely energy, and we've been talking pre-record, spending time together, and you carry such a generous light. And as I've learned about you, you have a genuine passion for creating meaningful connections, community, and belonging. There's so much I want to dive into, but I thought we could start with learning a bit about life before the birth of Daybreaker and when the idea for it was born. Yeah, wow. Great question. Um, first of all, thank you for having me, Lisa. It's good to be here. Um, and um, you, you also carry beautiful energy as well. So right back at you, sister. Uh, um, you. <laughs> um, so Daybreaker, uh, before Daybreaker, I, I really feel like my journey started at 30 years old. And um, you know, I looked myself in the mirror and I realized, whoa, I don't belong. And um my light was dim, like my eyes, like the light that you see, you know, maybe that you're seeing now, it was dim. And um, I kind of was sleepwalking through my, through my twenties, you know, and like so many of us do wanting to sort of be the thing our parents want us to be, or be the thing that society uh, wants us, wants us to be. And um, so I woke up on my 30th birthday and I realized, wow, this is, this isn't, this isn't me. I'm, I'm radiating a version of myself that doesn't feel authentic or that feels um, 
yeah, that just feels not, not who I am. So that was the beginning of sort of this internal journey of self-exploration of who am I, you know, where do I belong? What are my values today? What am I interested in exploring? What type of person do I want to be friends with? You know, I think so often in the friend space, we tend to fall into friendships or stumble into these friend groups like, oh, this person sat next to me in my cubicle at my job, or I shared a locker next to them, or, you know, I ran into them somewhere and we kind of became friends because I wanted friends. But, you know, so we tend to sort of collect groups of friends with less intention as we do for our professional careers, which we spend years organizing, honing on, applying for, you know, asking for advice. And we do the same thing for our love lives, our romantic relationships, right? What type of man do I, woman do I want? You know, what type of partnership feels best for me? But when it comes to friendships, we're, we're often kind of fly by the seat of our pants. We're kind of, if I have time, um, it's sort of like the redheaded stepchild, certainly, um, you know, I think for me it was, and um, and I think that that was the sort of beginning that that sort of not kind of a low point, right? Like it wasn't like a that I, I hit rock bottom or anything, but but it was like a moment of recognition that who are my people? You know, if I wrote down a list of like my people, which I do by the way once a year on my birthday, it's like who do I want to invest my time in this year? And I write a list of maybe you know fifteen names down, and and. Um, but um, but I think that was really the beginning of, of my journey towards meaningful relationships, meaningful community it was a recognition that, wait a minute, what if I reprioritized my life? Like, what if I prioritized community first? Right. And then I and then maybe my career, maybe my romantic relationships will fall in from fall into place from the place of real belonging. And so I began really reprioritizing sort of, um, my life. And, and, um, and I started writing down, you know, these exercises actually in my book. Um, but I write, I wrote down, you know, what are the qualities I'm looking for in a friend, right? What are the qualities I don't want in a friend? What are the qualities that I need to embody myself in order to attract the friends that I want, right? Become, you know, as a CEO and founder, you can often, you're, you're trained to be critical. We're trained to, to sort of look at what's wrong and not what's right. And so often we take that same level of scrutiny into our friendships and in our relationships or our romantic relationships. So it's sort of, you know, you have to learn to kind of put those things to bed in order to um, lens into relationship differently. And so um, that was the beginning of that journey. And I think in that sort of three years of self-discovery and that three years of really cultivating meaningful, intentional, values-aligned relationships, that was sort of um, the beginning of this, whoa, okay, now I have, I find, I would meet a friend on a plane, literally sitting next to someone on the plane that was like, you're amazing, let's be friends, and then I would invite them to a, a party, or and then I would meet somebody at a, you know, at, at an entrepreneurship summit, um, like Summit Series, or at Burning Man, and I would start, I started going to the things that I was actually interested and curious to explore, and that's sort of how I began pulling in, you know, tribes and, 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 and community members. And all of a sudden we had this community. And, um, and then four years into building this personal community is when I realized, um, wait a minute, um, what if we could actually create, su support others in creating community too? What if we can actually invite community 
in bigger cities where we're the most alone, ironically, large cities where we're stacked on top of each other, but we're the most isolated and alone. So that was the beginning of, of the idea for Daybreaker. What if we can bring people together um, at a time of day where we're the most optimistic and full of energy anyway in the morning? And um, what if we could create community around dance and around self-expression and around wellness and around mindfulness, around you know, mischief, which is one of our core values of dressing up in costume with glitter on our face before going to work on a weekday morning and then show up to the office. This is before COVID where you did have an office to go to, but you'd show up to the office with glitter on your face and everyone would be like, where were you just now? And you'd, you'd be like, I was at a wild party that, you know, that was amazing. And there were fire spinners and aerialists and break dancers and a horn section. And it was all before 9 a.m., you know? Um, so, so it was just, I think it was kind of all of a progression, but really starting with my own personal need that then led into what if we can create this um, and support others in, in that need too. And it started with fun because if we optimize for fun, um, for dance, for self-expression, for dressing up, for coming together in a celebratory fashion, that being so much more important now post-COVID, um, yeah. you know, life, life really does feel meaningful. Um, that's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing. So many times these beautiful ideas come from our own innate needs that we realize within ourselves. So thank you for having that insight and then following through, right, with it. So many times we've got ideas coming in and we don't always hone in and focus and actually take the action steps to follow through. Look at all the beautiful people around the world that are benefiting from your idea. Look at all the lives you're touching now. What an amazing thing. What a beautiful way to set the tone for the day. It's really so much fun. And I think the biggest thing that, you know, we had to wrap our head around when we built Daybreaker in the first place was how do we turn this into a viable business so that we can continue doing this? And I think the problem with execution or follow through with most community builders who have great intentions is that they don't always know how to build a foundation or how to think of a revenue model around it, how to actually sell tickets or build sponsorships, or how is it that you actually take an idea and a community and, and make it stand the test of time and be, and be viable financially. And I think there's oftentimes a big tension there of like, I don't know if I want to charge people for meditation or a yoga class or, or a dance party. It feels you know, counterintuitive to be doing that. And I'm sure you, you ran into that same sort of kind of, um, kind of subconscious feeling as being, as someone who's a healer who wants to bring positive things to the world, how do we actually make a viable sort of business out of it? And I think that's really um, the tension most community builders have. And, and I, I'm very unapologetic about the importance of, um, of, of making sure that, um, that the community and that the experience that you're building has an audience who values the experience that you're building with an equal energy exchange, right? So we put in so much energy, Glow puts in so much energy in creating experiences for other people and to be sort of, um, not acknowledged, but just to be sort of um, received with an equal energy exchange where it's like, okay, great, I'm giving you content in exchange for um, for a membership, I, I think that's that's important for us to sort of rewire around that. And so I, I like to talk about that, even if sometimes it can be uncomfortable for people. 
you know. Yeah, no, I agree. It is important to touch on that. And it is, it's a energy exchange, as you said, and they are getting value out of it. Absolutely. So when was the first official daybreaker? Like when you, because I remember when we first held the first glow classes, it's always scary that first one. So I just wonder what, what the first one was like. Oh, yeah. So that was on December 10th of 2013. And it was his first snowfall that year in New York City. So I remember waking up and it was like 4.30 in the morning and we were preparing the 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 space and the snow started falling. We're like, oh man, like no one's going to want to wake up and get out of bed and come to a dance party, right? And so we definitely were like, all right, maybe no one's going to show up. Um, but, you know, I took, my, my co-founder um, and I took two days actually to write down our list of invitees, like our first friends that we would invite to the event. So it was like 300 people that we had on Excel spreadsheet, literally, that we were like debating with each other on the type of person, the energy of that person. Would they be down and wake up in the morning? Would they be, you know, poo-pooing it? Or would they be, you know, kind of shoulder shrugging about it? And so we really spent, and this is again, you know, four years into building community for myself. So the fact that I had even 300 names to draw from, I know yeah. it was a blessing, you know, with mm-hmm. my partner together. So it was like 150 each kind of thing. But um, we wrote that down. And um, and so I think that level, again, of intentionality of, of, of who was on that invite list. And I think so often it's like, let me just throw, you know, my, in, my event on the wall and see what sticks with anybody and everybody. And as long as we sell tickets, like that's enough. But I think for us, one of the reasons why we were so we we have been so successful was just from the very beginning the original community our, our OG daybreaker community that we invited to the first event was so handpicked for their energy and not not necessarily someone who's like just a an FYF a fuck yeah high energy person you can bleep that out yeah. if you want but um, <laughs> but someone who's like you know it could be someone with relaxed energy but just someone who's positive vibes. That would be yeah. down and just like groove to music at sunrise with no alcohol on a weekday morning before going to work. Um, and um, and so so those 300 people, I, I honestly, on that day, that morning, when we were like, oh man, is anyone going to show up with this snowfall? I just knew that they would. I knew that this crew would show up. And so 200 of the 300 showed up, came. Yeah. So we had almost 100, 190 people came to the very first event. And I really, really, you know, don't believe Daybreaker would be what it is today without those first friends who came to that first event. And it really does take, you know, a community that's going to be the first to show up to something to really turn something to a movement. Um, And so I I hold endless, endless level of respect and, and love and gratitude to those 180, 190 brave souls who are like, sure, I'll wake up and do this thing and dress up in costume <laughs> with you, you know? And and they're just and they're just rad humans. And we're still many, you know, I would say most of these people I'm still dear friends with to this day. So it's that's really cool. so amazing. I was getting chills. Yeah. That's so amazing. <laughs> and and now cut to so, so December of 2013, now cut to these years later, you're in 28 some cities and growing. Yeah, that's right. We're 28 cities around the world. We're 
Um, we're in five continents. We're half a million um, community members strong and growing. And actually during the pandemic, when we had to shut down all of our cities and go online to live stream, which was, it's a whole story, you know, in and of itself of learning, being back in a startup mode of like learning how to use technology in a meaningful, experiential way that wasn't just pointing and shooting, but really taking into account what experience the person, the audience was having to make them feel like they were at a party, you know, which is obviously um, different than a yoga class or different from, it was like, how can we make someone feel like they're in a room with 300 other people or, you know, sweating like in a, in a club. And um, so it took a lot of experience design thinking to really change from a 3D environment and experience design for the, the IRL kind of concept in space to a 2D screen space. So that was a really interesting design challenge for us to play with, just like how could we really make this unique, um, art forward um, and inclusive and really make you feel like you were there. So so that we grew our community to um, 1,200 cities around the world um, and had you know 250,000 people tune in uh, through the pandemic. So that was really cool oh, um, on Zoom. Yes, we had like 20,000 person parties for, with people like in hijabs in Saudi Arabia, where it's like illegal to dance. And we had, right. you know, people, just people who are just going through divorce that would hold up, you know, uh, you know, I'm newly saying, just like all these different um, moments of humanity that we got to experience during during COVID and these live stream parties. We grew our community um, quite exponentially then um, mm -hmm. beyond the IRL 28 cities. And so um, that was really cool too. Um, to realize wow. the technology. Yeah, because I've been so anti-technology for, for so long. I'm like, hell no, I'm not doing virtual, no way. But um, but actually after this experience, I, I deeply have so much respect for everything you're doing, obviously at Glow. I mean, I think you guys were OG in that space, you know, but um, but just just the idea of gathering and people sharing their, their living rooms and sharing their intimate spaces behind them, that yeah. is a different type of meaningful invitation that I forgot or didn't think about um, in the past. That's so great. This is actually going to be one of my questions of how you took that in real life experience to create this and connect people all around the world. So now you're going to have a more global presence and touching more lives. It was really cool. I mean, I, I actually was at a party this weekend in Cabo San Lucas um, for Halloween, whatever. And, um, and this one guy comes up to me and he just was like, oh my God, you're Daybreaker, you're Rada. You know, he just was like, I, I danced with you during the pandemic and you totally, with my two kids. And, and it was a thing that, that we looked forward to every single week during the pandemic. And you really gave us something to dress up for and, and dance and, and look forward to. And, and I, I just got misty eyed, you know, talking to him. Oh, yeah. So just, you know, sometimes when you're in the 2D environment, you forget, the actual humans that you're impacting, as I'm sure yeah. you probably see on the daily and constantly with Glow. Um, but when you actually have these encounters with people you've never met before um, in a different part of the world, you know, and and they yeah. and they were tuning in with their families, you know, during such a lonely, uh, bleak time, I just felt, I just felt so good, good about that, you know, about about just the community. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm so glad you had that moment. If you ever need a reminder of, 
of all the hard work that you're doing behind the scenes, those are great moments to just say, hey, keep going. The universe is saying, you can <laughs> Keep going, was, keep going. It was so lovely. It just really was so lovely, you know? Maybe this is a good time to touch on dance. I grew up dancing, so I totally get the the energy that comes from it and the, the freedom that's experienced and the chemicals that are released. But maybe you could just touch a moment on why was it dance and what have you learned that, you know, we the benefits of dancing? Great, great question. So, so you know, I'm not a professional dancer. I never took a dance class a day in my life. But if you think about the oldest form of human celebration and self-expression of coming together as a village around a fire, it was and continues to be dance. If you ask anybody what their most favorite life moments are, it's a wedding they went to and danced with their family. It's a festival that they experienced. It was a concert that they danced their hearts out. It was these moments of celebration where you're bringing your body into states of complete ecstasy in unison, mostly in collective joy. Mm-hmm. Center is like, what does actually collective joy mean and experience? What, what does it mean in your brain? So, and you, you touched on the brain and, you know, so much of the world of dance is again, unmeasured because for every single person, it's different. You know, the way dance affects you might be different than the way dance might affect me. Whereas like meditation might be easier to measure because it's it's sort of sort of similar across all humans but dance dance has been the redheaded stepchild you know in the in the world of of wellness and healing because it's it's hard to measure because it's it's such a sort of beautiful enigma right but if you look at at his, history dance is the most potent joy practice dance is the most potent healing modality, the most potent reconnection to presence and self-expression, right? That exists on the planet. And and you're not being asked to follow somebody, right? And I think so much of the world of wellness can be follow me, you know, as the and, and which by the way, like that there's there's a whole world that's epic for that too. And I, I love I, I love my globe I love yoga practice. I love my yoga practice. But there's also an important world to invite this sort of self-expression to where you, you're not following anybody, but just allowing the music to enter your cellular structure and you get to move the way the music wants to move you. And if you're courageous enough to allow yourself to move in that way, the way the music is allowing your own body to move you, which is going to be different, Lisa, from the way I move my body, and to just celebrate that, to fully celebrate that in yourself. That to me is is just sort of the internal pharmacy that is dance, right? Like I, I we are our own pharmacists. We don't need outside medicine to help us if we learn how to unlock our own pharmacy, our dopamine, our oxytocin, our serotonin our endorphins, which I call your dose, right? Can you believe it spells out dose? It's crazy. (laughs) Um, But dance does that dance, dance. When you're actually in a collective dance experience with your friends, with your, and even lost in a concert, you know, people talk about, oh, I was at a concert, but I was high on these drugs. 
it wasn't the drugs actually made you feel that sense of euphoria. It was the oxytocin from being shoulder to shoulder. It was the endorphins from dancing and jumping. It was the dopamine from listening to music. It was the serotonin from feeling a sense of this is greater than me, right? So like your neurochemicals are completely firing in a collective dance experience. Yet we think it's the drugs. We think it's the alcohol. We think it's... Um, it's the outside substances that are making us feel this way, but it's actually our own internal chemistry that is acting as, as our greatest ambassador for joy. And I think that's, that's what we have to keep tuning into. And I think that's why, you know, practicing yoga, practicing dance, practicing sort of, um, you know, kind of movement modalities that unlock your dose um, yeah. to me is, is, is the most potent way of thinking about exercise or movement or movement practice. Mm -hmm. It's like, how does it connect to your brain? How does it mm -hmm. unlock your happy neurochemicals? And in doing so, you're accessing your spiritual side. Maybe the endorphins access euphoria and awe, right? Your dopamine accesses purpose and flow state, right? Your oxytocin accesses a sense of, you know, connection and a sense of, of deep intimacy, right? And your serotonin accesses gratitude and accesses kindness. So all these virtues of joy, right? We call these the eight virtues of joy are accessed when you're allowing the dance between your brain and body to happen. You allow your body to become your pharmacy again, and you really tune into that. Um, and so I just think that it's, that's why I, I think dance is, is, is the most untapped dose of kind of medicine that if we all could return to it's not a competition it's not choreography it's not i'm not a dancer it's not i need alcohol to have to dance and, and feel good about myself there's if we just put all of that away and came back to right the ultimate genesis the foundation of the human experience around a fire was intergenerational community people of all ages the babies to the grandmas dancing around a fire together bopping to the music to the drums right to the chanting to vocal toning which is a beautiful joint yeah. practice as well as singing together you know mm -hmm. and that that's that's i just feel like dance is an access point to euphoria states of ecstasy that we truly can't get with any other practice in the world i i really believe that yeah uh, i just like I so much is happening as I'm listening to you. <laughs> I'm on the verge of tears. So many things are going through my head. I have so many notes. The few things that came to mind, first of all, was just, I had this flash of my father passed away a few years ago and my mom started to become a part of this grief group. And they sit in a circle every every month, which is beautiful and lovely in a way, a way to connect. But being a dancer herself, she got them to get up and start dancing together and when she came back and told me that story, I just lost it. <laughs> One woman sent me a picture they took of these, you know, older folks just dancing around in this room and and where otherwise it would have just been another day of sitting there and talking, which again, beautiful way to connect. But here's another, I just love that she was introducing another dynamic to it and getting getting the emotions as we know we hold emotions in our body. And so getting the grief moving in the body, you know. You got and, it. 
just, I thought it was just so beautiful. Oh, and so I love that, that story. story came to mind. Yes. yes. Awesome. And yeah, and I think the older we get, the, the less we actually think dance is actually in our wheelhouse. We think, oh, that's for young people. Mm. That's for, yeah. you know, kids with able butt. No, but you can just be in your chair bopping. You can be standing mm. up and just tapping your feet. And I, and, and I, my favorite thing at Daybreaker, you know, we really, really preach intergenerational community. That's a really important part of our ethos and, and, and foundation. And when, you know, when I started seeing more and more people with gray hair who are, you know, what I call master citizens coming yeah. to our events, I just was like, this is it. Like to be seeing and mirroring each other in all sort of phases of our life to be able to know for me when I see a master citizen dancing I know that that person has inspired thousands of people in our community to be reminded of oh right I can dance until I die it's not relegated to just young people which is what most uh, what you most are exposed to in maybe a a, a, a festival setting but if we can actually include our master citizens, it's not only inspiring for our master citizens to see young people dancing, feeling vitality, but for young people to remember and to be imprinted in the idea that celebration is not relegated to young people, but it's for everyone in all phases of life. Yes, I love that. I had a few things come to mind. <laughs> um, I was thinking of when you were just speaking of, you know, the free flow of dance and allowing the music to move you. It really got me thinking of this culture we have of perfectionism and how this is such an opportunity and an invitation to sort of color outside the lines. It's interesting growing up and in, in, in taking ballet classes, which again, very structured, which has its benefits. But at the end of class, we put on music and now just go and do whatever you want to do. And I'm so happy that they integrated that into part of the class Mm. structure because it felt like okay now we get to experience what it's like to just free flow let the body move you and I, I remember distinctly looking back at a few of the girls around me thinking I don't know what to do with myself in this moment there's no one there's no one to follow there's no um you know no one I wasn't given a specific ask to to then execute. And so exactly. I, exactly. Sure you've seen that so many times that that look of like, what do I what do I do? There's no totally. one to direct. But then you start to see them soften. And it, it, it maybe it's a step or two. And I'm sure you've seen this um, progression of someone maybe a little intimidated or a little apprehensive. And then you slowly see them start to sort of let go and loosen up. That's right. That's right. So I've, I have so many things to say about this. Such a beautiful um, a question, and also just share. But the first thing that comes to mind is, um, you know, at Daybreaker, what I noticed over doing this for eight years and, and hundreds of events is that it's really around like eighty minutes on the dance floor. It takes like I would say like you know an hour for the dance floor to heat up, right? Where everyone's kind of like not feeling awkward, but they're just like starting to like let their bodies go. And by yeah. eighty minutes is when there's like this peak crescendo on the dance floor where everyone is just losing it and their hearts I can just literally energetically see the hearts opening on all of these people who were so close for so long with so many predisposed ideas of what a dancer looks like right yeah. and <laughs> and just like and just I'm sorry like, yeah no I love you I feel the same way I'm like crying talking to you no it's exactly like especially again like 
you know, post COVID, we've just been so closed. And so to be reminded that, right, like when we are allowing that mirror neuron to work, we see other people on the dance floor by minute 80, you're like, what am I judging myself for? Like, let me just fully let go here. Like they're doing it. And that grandma over there is doing it. And that, you know, everyone's doing it. Let me just let go of my, stop judging myself, right? Like our MC always says, stop judging yourself and let go. Stop judging yourself and let go. So it takes about 80 minutes, I've noticed, to really be patient with yourself and the collective experience to fully find that flow state and really allow your body to move you and allow the music to fully take you and move you. That's the first thing. The second thing is it takes about, I would say, like, you know, for Daybreaker, I I would say, like, you know, five or six times before you're like, oh, waking up in the morning is hard and oh, I'm going to be sober and oh, I have to put on the clock and I have to go get my butt over here. It's still dark outside. It takes like, you know, it takes again, habit formation and allowing yourself to be like, okay, being grumpy the first four, three or four times or even five times until mm-hmm. it becomes like you're popping out of bed, your tail is wagging, your, your costume's laid out from the night before, you put on your glitter, you throw on your costume and you run to the party and you're like skipping over there, you know? Yeah. So I think anything, and I think that's true for eating habits, for sleeping habits. Like at first you're like, oh God, forcing myself to go to bed at 10 p.m. is hard when I'm used to sleep, staying up till 2 a.m. Or forcing myself to eat a certain way or, or to support myself with my community in a certain way, not go back to the same trough of negative energy constantly it just all of this is habit formation and same thing with a dance party or same thing with the dance inner the dancer inside of you is like is like you have to just be patient with yourself and allow yourself to be grumpy for a couple of them and know that that's maybe part of the process like to be in joy you have to go through the dark and to face yourself too right and so um and then the third thing I was going to say was, you know, on Daybreaker Plus, on our on our on our on our on our on our virtual platform, you know, because I know how much people feel that sense of judgment for themselves around how they dance. One of the reasons we launched Daybreaker Plus was because we wanted to give people a place and space to practice, you know, how to basically dance in the comforts of their living room and really practice how to be in self-expression. So we have blindfolded dance classes where I have you blindfold, put a blindfold Mm -hmm. on, and I have you just find your yoga mat. I just have you kind of go low, slow, and flow. So you're like, kind of like, you're not moving your feet. I don't want people to fall and hurt themselves or whatever, but like, you might just like ground in, feet on the ground. You might sort of bend your knees and just allow your body to flow to the music with a blindfold on. All of a sudden you're like, oh, this is easier than I thought to just ground into myself to allow these. And then you just realize, whoa, I'm, I'm letting go of this trauma. I'm letting go of this because I haven't moved my body in this way in right. so long. I haven't dislodged this piece of sticky energy here, you know? Yeah. And so it's like so beautiful to know also that sometimes blindfolds are a superpower. Mm-hmm. You can actually like, you know, 80% of your sensorial experience is taken in through your eyes right? Mm -hmm. And so when you take that away and you're allowing all your other senses to now be in dominant space, then all of a sudden you're like, oh, your your proprioception is better. You're you're able to feel your way around. You can feel energy. You're able to sort of use your hands. You're able to just really figure out your environment through energy. And, Mm -hmm. And then by the time, you know, you practice enough times dancing solo with a blindfold on, maybe you'll start taking the blindfold off. Maybe you'll start coming to a dance party 
and you realize in collective experience, oh, wow, when I practice this at home, then when I come to a collective experience, it's so much easier than I thought it was because it's now in your body. Now you're like, oh, right. Okay, cool. This is how it is. So, you know, asking somebody to be, be already at 100 and be ready to go and, you know, it is an unfair ask. So we're we're we were we are now building sort of a, a supportive process for those who, who need that gentle kind of hand holding to get there. And yeah. That's so supportive. And yeah, meeting people where they are, which is, is super important so that everyone feels included. And I just love I love your insights and your your observations. And through the what almost eight years now plus of Daybreaker, all of these amazing takeaways which it sounds like now you're integrating that insight and all of that knowledge into dose and daybreak daybreaker plus. And so I wonder if we could segue there now into how you were taking all these learnings. And as you described with the supportive process being one of them, and maybe we can talk to you about the joy quiz and all the things that are available virtually Maybe you could share more about how the offering has shifted into the online experience. Yeah, so um, we have two online kind of opportunities. Thank you, by the way. This is um, it's so exciting to to be, you know, really um, now no longer sort of in in a space of just doing IRL to be able to give people a supportive space like the way Glow has done so beautifully um, for a decade or plus, you know, and so to now be kind of. I think for us, it was like during COVID, you know, I had two friends whose siblings um, commit suicide during, during Mm -hmm. COVID. And it was, it was one of, you know, one of the darkest times um, for, for, for these friends. And, and what I started doing research on was, you know, is there a joy practice that exists out there? And I realized that, you know, there isn't sort of a, a space or a platform where you can practice how to be joyful, how you can actually unlock the pharmacist inside of you, where you can unlock your four happy neurochemicals with specific movement practices that can take you there in 11 minutes, you know, or, you know, to 11 minutes to 33 minutes at a time. And, and so I started doing so many, so much research on, on the science of joy, the science of happiness, the science of sort of how the brain and body connect with each other, um, and then I partnered with the Greater Good Science Center and UC Berkeley and Dr. Dr. Keltner, who's this top behavioral science um, uh, scientist and professor and, and founder of the Greater Good Science Center. And, and we were sort of talking about, you know, does he know of any joy practice? Does he know of any way that we can actually help people that's not just cut off at the neck and just is in the head, Right. What are some of the things that we can do? And so, of course, we talked about yoga. We talked about meditation. We talked mm-hmm. about um, all the wonderful modalities like qigong um, and 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 other kind of movement practices. And and then and then we said to ourselves, okay, how can we actually create a, a sort of a, a a space for people to come to when they're feeling really low, really sad, really anxious, really unhappy? Um, they might not always want to move their bodies. They might, they might just want to listen to a sound roll meditation. They might want to listen to a lecture series um, on joy. They might want to be given tools um, 
for how to be more more joyful or how to move through their shadow self into states of joy. Um, and so, and so, yes, there's so many different types of iterations that exist out there, but we really want to double down on specifically a joy practice. So we kind of put together our own kind of method and medallion that includes a mix of journaling, meditation, yoga, qigong, uh, breath work, um, connection exercises, all in a community. Um, dance, of course, um, being the final piece of, of the joy practice. Um, and we just wanted to bring like the sort of bits and pieces of some of the most potent practices that exist in the world and put, in, put them into one potent kind of method routine a joy morning routine that anybody could do that it was just like in 11 minutes or 15 minutes um for the short version up to you know 33 or 44 minutes for the longer version you can get up in the morning and do a little bit of all these things and by the end of that 11 minutes you're just like ready to go in in sort of orienting to joy and um and your neurochemicals your your dose has has been fired right um yeah. and so so we just wanted to kind of create a place that was a bit more biohacking vibes um where you could mm-hmm. learn how to biohack your happy neurochemicals a place where you could really um really practice joy you know and um we're in beta right now we just launched with our daybreaker community quietly um and it's been so cool to just see um people of all ages, all shapes, all levels be able to come and, and, and learn learn about joy practice and really orient their days, orient their 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 practice to joy. And um and we're working with some of the most amazing lecturers. I'd love to have um you know you and your partner on as well. Um, um but but basically we've had you know we have um Dr. James Powelski, who who wrote um, and and architected the Massive Applied Positive Psychology, the MAPS program at UPenn, with Dr. Martin Seligman, who's the father of the positive psychology kind of movement, um, they're teaching a series on the joy of arts and culture. And we have Marion Williamson teaching the joy of mindfulness. And we have um, Sophie Tucker, Sophie Holly of Sophie Tucker, the band teaching um, the joy of creative writing. She's an amazing DJ, songwriter. Um, so we have all kinds of interesting people on the platform who are teaching you in kind of brain body somatic practices how mm-hmm. to how to orient your body and your mind to joy. And um, I'm super excited. We just onboarded 50 doctors in the last wow. two weeks. 50 doctors are first time doing this. This, You're the first one to hear this. We have to do this quietly. I've I've not announced this to anyone. I just realized I blurted it out, but we just, (laughs) we just, we just onboarded 50 doctors to prescribe Daybreaker plus and and our joy practice to their patients. Um, And, and so, you know, my number one dream is for dance and practicing joy to be on the same list that doctors prescribe for mindfulness of meditation yes. yoga right now dance and joy practice is still not on that list and i and it mm-hmm. it must be you know mm-hmm. um and so we are now doing the, all the studies um with uc berkeley and building a whole research um study around that so that it could be really um it could be really published and and we have data around what what happens to your body when you practice joy what happens to your body when you practice collective joy 
what happens to your body when you dance and what happens to your body when you're in collective dance. Um, and, um, and, and my number one dream is, is for, is for dance, um, and joy practice to be, to be, um, yeah, to be a prescribed, um, a prescribed antidote for doctors, um, supporting patients with anxiety, depression, loneliness, suicide, um, uh, isolation, you know, obviously a host of other health issues because we now have learned over the last, you know, four or five years that, um, having poor social connections is as harmful to your physical health as being an alcoholic, twice as harmful as obesity, um, and that to, to practice in the collective is extremely potent and healing. Wow. That's so beautiful and amazing. Thank you for sharing all of that. I, I, um, I was just thinking my, and not everyone has access to a naturopathic doctor, but that is one of the first things and it's rare. It's very rare. And I know it is, but she does ask me, what are you doing in your life? for joy what kind of joy are you bringing into your life so yes please connect me to her i'd love to turn oh, her on I'd to what we're to doing that. yes yeah i, I would I, love to that's always been my dream too like when you have that visual of an rx pad and you're like okay 30 minutes of dance five minute meditation and then report back and let me know how that's going yes. for you just we can adjust when you're ready now <laughs> minutes of you know but yeah and that's the joy quiz actually speaking of which like we have a joy rx yes. we actually call it the joy rx um and and it's free quiz that you can take um and maybe I'll, I'll yeah you can share that so basically this is a 40 question questionnaire and yeah. that we we worked with uc berkeley and, and great red science center and their entire research team um on developing this quiz and um, it was months and months and months of, of development and, and research and learning and testing and, and all of that. But we, um, but it's a 40 question quiz where we ask you about, you know, all the areas of your life connected to joy, movement, you know, all of that. You can tell it's very in-depth and thoughtful and it's very intentional. Like, and I, I enjoyed answering the questions. It brought a lot of self-awareness and insight. So folks can take the joy quiz and then based on the results, there are specific classes served up to help meet the needs based on the results. That's right. Exactly. So after you answer the 40 questions, based on your answer, you'll be given a prescription that you need two parts dopamine, four parts oxytocin, two parts serotonin, one part endorphins. And that basically says how many classes that you want to take. So each part represents a class that you want to take for that month. So typically yeah. so you have eight classes total if it's like two parts, three parts, one part, four parts, whatever. So you add those up and that's the number of joy practices that you want to do for the month. Of course, you can do more if you wanted to, but that sort of will take you to um, a space where you're growing in each of those, um, in each of those spaces of your neurochemical needs. So if you need more dopamine, you'll take more classes. If you need more oxytocin, more intimacy, more connection, you know, more, um, you know, meaningful sort of, um, yeah, intimate relationship. You might be invited to um, to to take several of these oxytocin classes that are all about connection, or self love, or massage, or right. things like that. Um, you know, if you if you're invited to get um, two parts serotonin, you might be taking gratitude classes, or you might be mm -hmm. doing a series of of um, kindness practices or a series of yoga flows connected to um, you know your brain axis. You know, which mm -hmm. So it's all, it's all really biohacky, but also still very spiritually minded. So it's, it touches on you know, your brain and science while also really staying true to um, the, the art form that, that is being um, delivered. I love that. How often do you 
recommend re- retaking the quiz? Yep. So every three months, we recommend retaking the test. Okay. So because three months is sort of what it takes to build the habit to really, to really kind of, you know, sort of create a habit around practicing joy and around orienting your um, wellness practice on, sort of through the lens of right. My body is my pharmacy. My brain body is my pharmacy. Let me continue reminding myself of that so that when I do this movement practice, if I orient this intention to finding flow state dopamine class, right, this is going to be um, a new, it, it's going to take a few months to orient to it. And again, this is why it takes patience. Like it, this whole experience is all about habit formation um, and yeah. orienting to joy instead of what most of us are, are trained to do, which is focus on what's wrong, how to fix the thing, you know, as managers, as founders, as as just working professionals, our job is constantly to focus on what's wrong to solve it, which is makes us good employees or good leaders, but doesn't necessarily help with our um, our joy. <laughs> so um, it's just a nice reorientation. Cool. That's so awesome. When I think about the 2D environment and de- designing experiences for the computer screen, right? When someone's taking a class it's on a computer screen. So, you know, for me, that was a really fun design challenge as an experienced designer, right? Of like, how can we make this experience feel truly unique and art forward? And so um, we decided to shoot against green screen. So all of our classes are shot against green screen. And so then we replaced the green screen with this sort of nature scene. So we really thought about, you know, when we designed the classes, we really thought about what are the elements of joy and how can we actually infuse elements of joy into the aesthetic of the class? So every class is set against the nature background, right? So we always sort of put you against some nature scene um, mm. all around the world, which is really fun. But then we color the nature scene. So we'll add a filter, a color on the nature scene based on the neurochemical that you're working with. Because color is actually a joy practice too. If you really kind of do color theory and color analysis, you know, different colors evoke different feelings. So we did a whole study on color palette as well. So when people take a serotonin class against a yellow filtered nature scene, because yellow invites real sort of happiness, um, a mood stabilizing, sort of a joyful state. Um, And so that's sort of an example of of a color palette that we invite. And then around the screen, on the perimeter of the screen, we put affirmations. I am statements. I am beautiful. I am worthy. I am enough. I am, you know, I am courageous. I am. So also around the screen, there's these eight affirmations of each class has affirmations around it. So even if you're not necessarily as a teacher, if I'm not calling to it, you're subconsciously reading these words and they're sort of filling your space, right? You're, they're yeah. filling your kind of mind's eye subconsciously. So you're getting all of these affirmation messages and affirmations, of course, are, are a joy practice. And so, um, so just really fun to sort of think about the 2D environment and the experience design of, of the class itself um, through the yeah. lens of joy and how to really not only in the teaching and the facilitation, but what is the visual experience that also lenses and orients to joy? So it was, it was a really fun um, design challenge. And um, I, I'm, really, I'm really proud of, of its execution. 
That's awesome. I'm excited for you. I'm excited for you to see it. Yeah. I'm so excited. It's everything so intentional, so purposeful. I look forward to exploring it and trying it and encourage our listeners to check it out too. So you are the creator, the, you know, you help birth this whole concept and idea. And I know you're working with, with your partners at the Greater Good Science Center and some other folks, but what is your specific role on the platform itself? You're teaching some great classes around joy, correct? That's right. Yeah. So, you know, I love facilitating um, and teaching people how to, again, unlock their dose, unlock their neurochemicals. Um, mm-hmm. through their bodies. And so I designed a class um, along with my friend, Ali Bogard, um, and she and I um, sort of architected this sort of movement method that kind of takes you through each neurochemical and helps really unlock each of them one at a time. So that by the end of the class, we have really reverse engineered the kind of biohacking of these four happy neurochemicals. So it's been really fun to... Um, to play in this space, but also to then come on the platform and teach. We have live stream classes also a few times a week, but um, to then really see the, um, yeah, just sort of, it's a totally different concept and also familiar, right? So there's a lot of familiar notes. There's a lot of, you know, yoga, meditation, visualization, breath work, journaling, um, dance, you know, all kind of put together. But when you kind of think about it through the lens of, each neurochemical, it just lenses differently. And when you lens, the, and we, we are meaning making machines and we are all storytellers as humans. So when we just invite a new intention into, into a practice, it just changes the chemistry of the practice. And mm-hmm. I think that's what, um, what I love teaching and, and what I love um, facilitating is just getting, you know, it's like getting our community members, getting humans to, to be able to see that that we are our own pharmacists, we can do that. We can do that inside of, you know, movement practice. We don't need just to do talk therapy. We can really we can really do all of it. Um, yeah. We can really connect brain body in a in a in a playful art forward way that doesn't feel like work or a chore. You know. Yeah, that's so cool. Because if it's fun and playful, we'll we'll want to come back to it too more and more. That's right. So we're like always in costume or we, there's people that like are so many of our facilitators are, are wearing, you know, nineties aerobics outfit. We just have fun with it because we also find that the space can be pretty serious and and earnest, you know, the wellness space in general. Um, And so to bring a little levity or a little humor, a little play, a little, I don't take myself too seriously vibes is also a joy practice, you know? Yeah, because for many folks, they probably don't get that maybe anywhere in their life. One of the things that we're actually launching that maybe you're the first one to hear about it is um, we're launching a comedy series on the platform where it's just like the only role of a facilitator is to make the viewer laugh. And it's like, and it's like, yes, it's a comedy, but it's like, it's like, you know, it's just like, you come on the platform, you're like, God, I'm having a crap day, whatever. I, I want to log on. I just want to laugh right now. So you can yeah. literally, this is a serotonin release. Like when you're laughing, if you literally fake yes. smile right now, everyone listening, yes. just like made yourself smile. That is a serotonin release. Your, your brain doesn't know 
if it's fake or if it's real, right. or if it's a real smell. So you can actually smile even if you're feeling crappy and all of a sudden you're flooding your body with serotonin. Yes. So laughter is such a beautiful joy practice and to, to kind of have it on the same platform as a kind of wellness movement practice that's not Netflix comedy special, but it's really, mm-hmm. again, orienting through the lens of joy. I just yeah. think it's new and different and fun and irreverent and playful. So I um, love that. Stay tuned. Yeah. That's a great, <laughs> well, stay tuned for that. That's exciting. And then I will say that's a great takeaway for anyone listening. If you wanted to start shifting some chemicals, <laughs> just smile, even if you don't feel like smiling. And it's contagious. And joy is contagious, as we know. That's right. I think that's why one of the things that really affected the human experience during COVID was the mask and not Mm -hmm. being able to experience people smiling and being able to experience people's, you know, just just the emotion of joy. And I think, you know, when when you're already a sensitive or lonely person, when you, you can't even receive the little things like a smile from the grocery store clerk or 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 your mail whatever whomever it just sets you into a deeper spiral and so yeah it was such a for me a stark reminder of the of the strength and power of of smile smiles and laughter yeah 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 that's so important and I love that you have these 11 minute options to set the tone of the day because Truly, and and this has been in my experience, it doesn't take much to shift your energy. In fact, it's quite amazing and magical how fast it can be shifted. (laughs) Okay, I would love to hear about your experience with Oprah's 2020 Vision Tour. I did get to see some of the video and it was just so fun seeing you on stage. You can feel your energy, your light, and this is all coming through video. Again, the power of the energy that comes through the video but I could see and feel you inspiring and energizing the space and the people there. And of course, all the folks you were with, there were moments where I saw you out in the audience, touching shoulders and dancing with other people. You could see them light up these folks (laughs) in the audience when you would come up to them and, and engage with them. So I just can imagine what that experience was like for you and all the folks that were there with you. I would love to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, so um, oh, you just took me down memory lane um, of just <laughs> that experience. Um, but yeah, we did nine stadium. It was a sold out stadium tour with with the Queen Oprah, and she really wants to make a mark, and she is making a mark in the health and wellness space, particularly for women of color as well. And she, you know, she always says like, I, you know, um, I want, I want my reason um, to be on this planet. Yes, I'm a talk show host, but I really want to impact. Um, women and their health and black women and their health. And so I, I just admire that so much. And, um, and so when, you know, she and her team, and by the way, her, you know, one of her incredible um, team members actually used to run Daybreaker Chicago. And, and so she um, championed us when she moved over, left us sadly, but went to Oprah. Um, she championed us internally as like, and, and really was so inventive and obviously to Oprah's credit to really think about how can we open up a stadium and energize it with, with joy, with belonging, with a community sort of orientation to not just open it with, you know, maybe a singer song or just like, or some sort of less kind of community oriented experience. I thought that was just so smart of her to invite us in this format, which we, by the way, had never done before. We'd never done 
a stadium touring format. So it was, again, a whole new design challenge for us to think about, okay, we've got, you know, just about 30 minutes on stage before she comes out for her opening act and really we high-fived her on the way out um, at every, and she, you know, she became such a a beautiful ally for us as well. Um, But to really, you know, have 30 minutes to take a cold stadium and engage them and build up the energy and really create sort of an environment of, of, of real belonging um, before before Oprah came out, so she really felt that warmth. Like I, fa- I found that to be the biggest the biggest responsibility that that I that I felt it was like I want her to come out and feel so loved, and mm-hmm. I want the audience to feel so connected to each other um, before she comes out. So there's already this belonging and camaraderie happening in the audience. Um, so it was really fun to to travel the country a and also experience that. We're all the same, whether Republican or Democrat, whether we're in, you know, Miami or in San Francisco, it's just or Minneapolis or, or wherever. It's just um, the audience is energized by dance and celebratory invitation and and invitations to do, you know, singing and chanting together or vocal toning as a fifteen thousand person audience and that we're all just wired for connection belonging and we're wired to want to celebrate life that if we're invited into an experience of celebration i'm going to take it right especially if i'm seeing everyone around me being swept into this wave of joy so it was again so affirming to um to 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 be uh to be again the first the first voice on stage with my yeah. with my NC and to just be like okay Rada like this is a new edge for me I'd never done anything like this before I was I'm a speaker I I I, I do public speaking but I've never I was never an MC or a motivator in that in this kind of large scale environment so it was they took a big chance on on me too and to Mel. Mel and you know Oprah's credit and, and the whole team they um, they really put so much um, trust in us you know yeah. so much trust in us and and it was, it was it was one of the most epic experiences of my life bar none and my daughter who was one at the time at the end of every um, show like at at, at the, right before she came out they let us bring her on stage have her like have a moment to see a sea of humans and she just come on with my husband um who's my co-founder and partner daybreaker um oh, cool. and we just it, we would just be like she just be out there staring at the audience and like waving and dancing <laughs> and it was just it was just there it was the coolest experience and they were so welcoming to us and we continue to be close friends with with um the whole over team and and um we we are continuing to look for things to do together um in the near future so yeah stay tuned for that yeah, that's so cool because I, I have to say just just observing it online, I wasn't at one of these events physically. I could feel the energy shift in the room from the moment you came on stage to when you went off stage. And then I'm sure there was a lot to just prep for, in, as you said, in terms of design and how you could really utilize that 30 minutes. But I have to say, you just being up there leading it all, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it just felt like you were home in a, in a way. <laughs> I it felt that way. It really, yeah. honestly, I, I actually credit the Oprah team for unlocking, um, unlocking a version of myself that I didn't really, I hadn't really let fully loose. Mm. And I'm, I'm so excited to keep exploring, exploring 
that side of facilitation and, and sort of um, community organizing in, in a way that feels, you know, much more mama cheerleader, like yeah. let's go, you know? And um, it was, it was, it was such, and I think that experience of doing that tour when COVID happened and we had to kind of shut everything down, which by the way was a huge whiplash going from 15,000 person okay. stadiums to our living room, literally setting up a green screen in our living room to do these parties every week uh, for 20,000 people at a time. So same size as these stadiums, but I couldn't see them. They were just 20,000 people at a time, but scattered on Zoom screens all over the world. So it was yeah. interesting to adjust the kind of the spiritual experience and the energetic experience of, of being kind of swept up by the by the the, the energy of a, of a real room to having yeah. to imagine it um, in in a living room. So it was um, that was wild. Yeah, to, I was thinking of to that too. So for folks to give context, that she was on tour the beginning of January 2020, right? Yeah, and that's then, right. And then we went into March. sort of. Right, right in March. So literally shifting from this expansive one week after, yeah, one last week. stop. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so and well, again, it sounds like you know, and I just think of so many people too have had to pivot so much through the transition into the pandemic, and it sounds like you've done it in such a graceful, beautiful way, and coming from a place of curiosity and vulnerability and just being open. You know, my daughter, believe it or not, like she speaks to me all the time. She's always like, and, and, you know, without actually speaking, and this is like her first year of life. Now she speaks all the time, but she would always say to me, you know, mom, like you can do this and mom, like, you know, like get on stage and, and, and you can do this. And, I, and there was definitely moments of like, oh my God, this is the scariest thing I've ever done in my entire life. But she would just, she was one at the time and I was breastfeeding her on tour. She was traveling me with me to every stop. It was like so insane, Lisa. I'm wow. just like organizing and planning all of that of like the, you know, the breastfeeding and, and the mom side of things while yeah. also rehearsals and, and making things. And every stop of the tour, we would learn, oh, this worked, this didn't work. So right. we'd be back in the, back in sort of, you know, the rehearsal rooms and be like, okay, we would tweak it so that by the time it got to the ninth stop, it was a well-oiled experience, but it, it took, you know, four or five stops for us to really feel like this is it, you know? And we kept yeah. learning and kept iterating and kept making it tighter and stronger and better throughout the mm -hmm. tour um just learning from the size of the sheer size of an audience in a seated experience but on their feet with only so much space to move it was right. a very interesting um but yeah but she kept coming to me and she just kept saying like mom you, you can do it and and so she's my she's my little um yeah, my little, little angel, angel. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <I love it. laughs> Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you. I, I couldn't let our conversation go by without asking about that experience. Yeah. This, I I could feel it. And yeah, if any folks want to just, you can just look it up online, Oprah's 2020 Vision Tour. And, I, and you, know, you have some clips on your website as well showing from the tour. So I highly recommend checking those out. Um, so let's come full circle. Just, just spend a little time on Belong. The current book you released a few years ago, Find Your People, Create Community, and Live a More Connected Life. So Belong is a creative blueprint for bringing the most important dimension back into our lives. And I love that your why, you say your why is belonging. That's right. Of course. That's yeah. the ultimate why for hum humans. <laughs> I think it's so beautiful. 
we all want to feel like we belong, like we're a part of something. And could you just explain briefly, because I love that you sort of rearranged the Maslow's hierarchy. So if you could just touch on that for a second, I think it's important. Yeah. So, you know, Maslow wrote the hierarchy of needs brilliantly in 1943. Right. And he, um, he was really so ahead of his time. And and I'm such a fan of of Maslow's work in general. Um, But I would say that, you know, he put belonging in the third rung, right? So he puts like food, water, shelter, and then he puts, you know, purpose and, and, um, you know, kind of um, uh, your physical and and mental well-being second. And then he puts, he puts um, belonging on the third rung. And, and what we found, you know, Harvard came out recently with this longitudinal 75-year study, um, which really showed that the key to a healthy, wealthy life was meaningful relationships. And then another study came out that showed how, again, having poor social ties is as harmful as your physical health as being alcoholic, twice as harmful as obesity. And so what I think we, you know, we don't put, he maybe have not, didn't realize how important belonging is to your life longevity, to your physical experience, to your health and wellness, to your mental, you know, your mental health. So I, I move belonging to actually into the basic human needs section of the pyramid, which is the base, the foundation of our life, our root chakra, right? Mm-hmm. Or the root, the first energy center is our base, is our is our foundation of our life. And if we don't belong, if we don't have a sense of community or belonging to both ourselves and to each other, because humans are spectacularly social creatures, we cannot survive without without each other. Um, we cannot ascend that rung. We can't, it's impossible to find joy when you don't belong. It's, I mean, I will, I will debate anybody who can say I'll meditate alone for the next, you know, two years. And that person will have the same level of ecstasy as somebody who finds deep belonging and is in a collective experience that's ecstatic, that's maybe dance focused, that's maybe like community driven, that's, that's something that is community focused. But there's, you just cannot achieve a state of joy and euphoria without belonging both to yourself again and to, and to a meaningful community that, that um, inspires you, you know? Um, yeah. That makes you feel like that, ex, that gives you that exhale of I'm home. Yes. Right. And, um, and so I think, so I think, so, so I think, and then Maslow talks about, you know, self-actualization at the top of his pyramid at the very top. Once you get right. to the very top, once you've ascended, you, you self-actualize and you, and then of course he has one more kind of the hidden one that, that he doesn't talk about, which is all around sort of, um, transcendence, mm-hmm. which kind of is sort of in the hidden text of Maslow's work. Once you've actually self-actualized, you've transcended beyond the plane of, human and, and now you're in this whole other plane um yeah. which people say psychedelics can sort of shortcut you there and, and so on and so forth but um but i think that we can actually again be our own internal pharmacist if we are if we are in states of collective joy and collective ecstasy we can achieve the same levels of transcendence and joy mm-hmm. that you would um, on, on psychedelics, um, or in, you know, in that, in that sort of other realm, um, of medicine, which, which I'm not against or opposed to, or, you know, don't do myself. Um, but I think that there's a world to discover in our own minds that that is already there. 
you know. So yeah, um, yeah. So that's really why it, I yeah. kind of updated his hierarchy of needs, and I talk about joy at the top of my pyramid rather mm-hmm. than self-actualization because joy is a collective experience, and um, and and I think that that's that's the most potent human um, human state is is collective joy. One of the things that I'm also interested in really doubling down on is I think so much of of the world of mental health or or just wellness in general is trying to take us from states of trauma to states Mm. of stasis. I'm now no longer in trauma. I'm now feeling good. I'm now, I'm no longer living in my trauma story. I'm now no longer living in the state of of fight or flight. I'm now, I have a beautiful practice. I have really great sort of books I'm reading all the beautiful, you know, practices I'm doing that make me feel good. And I need it to get to my baseline stasis. But where the delta of opportunity where I get really excited to explore is how do you get from a state of I'm okay, I'm good, I'm feeling, I'm feeling mindful, I'm feeling present, I'm feeling connected to states of euphoria, states of joy, states of ecstasy, right? Like that delta, right? From I'm now I'm traumatized to now I'm okay. I have a practice that's keeping me okay. This is great. But the number of people who've asked me, they said, Rada, like I'm now okay. I'm no longer in this myopic sort of, you know, when you're in trauma state, all you can see is right. that trauma. You're, you're very, it's a narrow, you have a very narrow perspective of life. So once that trauma has gone away, you can open up your perspective and you, you begin to see the world around you. Sometimes that can be even more jarring. Because now there's so many options of like what you could do with your life now that you're no longer in this focused trauma state that you're just as confused and and traumatized by, I don't even know where to start. Like my slate is clean, but I'm I'm Mm -hmm. feeling freaked out because there's there's so many options and I don't even know where to start. And so that's why practicing joy to me is so important. Like, let me hold your hand. Let me take you and teach you how, or let's find out through this joy quiz, what are the things that you connect with? What are the things that you want to explore more in yourself? Or what are the things that, what are the areas of life that we can get excited about together that can now take you to states of ecstasy in this life? Because we all deserve to experience that state of joy and ecstasy and euphoria and that holy shit, we're aliveness. You know, yeah. that, that being on this planet, the miracles that we are, the billions of cells that it took for each and every one of us to be living right now in 2021 to not yeah. be experiencing the holy shitness of our aliveness to me feels like uh, like a lost opportunity you know mm-hmm. and so i think that's where you know we're launching the joy institute we're launching a, a whole field called functional joy which is cool you know, a whole coaching program to teach people how to be functionally joyful, how to find mm. functional ecstasy, how to find, you know, functional euphoria um, without the need for substances, but by thinking about what music they're listening to, by thinking about how much sun they're getting, what's their community like, what is their arc of their day, of their week, of their month, of their year like? Let's look at like every aspect of your joy map together and let's yeah. figure out how to take you from states of I'm now okay in stasis to less states of holy shit or aliveness, you know? Yes. And I think that's, that's the opportunity that, that I'm so excited to help people get to. Um, 
and I think that's 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 the ultimate why for Gay Booker Plus, for Functional Joy, for for that entire ecosystem for for existing, and why we started in the first place. That's so awesome. I love what you're doing. I I encourage folks just to keep an eye, follow Rada, keep an eye on all the beautiful things that she has coming, that she's already put out into the world, first of all, and that are continuing to come out into the world. So I want to leave our guests, our, our listeners rather, with one thing that they could implement today right now. You have many exercises in your book, Belong, but I was thinking the one we could do would be Dose, where you have a little list by your front door. Perfect. So I love this question. Um, so dopamine is all around pleasure reward and it's sort of the feeling of accomplishment. So listening to music actually is a beautiful dopamine release. So taking the time to just open up Spotify or whatever you know music platform that you like to use and creating a playlist for yourself that that you feel connects to joy that you can just play as your as your joy playlist when you're going somewhere and of course we can segment this but but having a joy playlist for just everyday life is such a beautiful dopamine practice that you can do so fast. I make playlists for myself for. If I'm having date night with my husband, if I'm going about to give a talk somewhere, I'll make a playlist for myself as a pump up. So music is such a pathway to joy and dopamine release. And so that's a beautiful um, first practice to do um, at home. Oxytocin is all about connection. It's our intimacy hormone. It's our cuddle hormone. So really finding a moment in every day to just massage yourself. So maybe even just doing an eyebrow, take your index fingers and trace from your temple, from your the inside of your eye up towards your temples and just doing a little self-massage practice while saying, I am beautiful, I am worthy, I am amazing, right? I am creative and just as many affirmations, I am affirmations as you can for 30 seconds is just a beautiful self-love practice. Um, you can also obviously hug someone for seven seconds if you have a loved one at home or a friend. Seven seconds or more is actually the oxytocin release moment. Um, so don't rush your hugs when you're with friends. Um, we actually do hugging workshops at Daybreaker for how not to be give creepy hugs, how to give nice seven second hugs. But but anyway, hugging is a beautiful joy practice. Serotonin is you know the ninety percent of serotonin is created in your gut. So really thinking about the food that you're eating and what connects to joy, not just ice cream, but what is the food that actually helps your gut, makes your gut happy. So there's two pieces of serotonin. One is outdoors, being in sunlight. The second, so how much sun are you getting? Go out in the sun every day. Just just Mm -hmm. kiss the sun with your, you know, with your face for like five minutes every morning. Just go outside and just kiss the sun. And and again, you can share affirmations with yourself. You can, um, you know, you can... um, sing a song that you love. You can smile at the sun. Again, serotonin, you smile. It's a beautiful serotonin release of smiling at the sun every morning. It's just a really simple, let's do that. Um, The gut is already a part of it. Whatever you're eating, think about that. But this is a simple day-to-day exercise. Um, Go outside, kiss the sun, smile at the sun five minutes a day. Um, Last thing is endorphins is all about, it's your runner's high. It's kind of like the sweat glow that you get after doing a yoga practice. So doing, you know, doing a dance, a one song dance party in your living room in front of the mirror, ideally naked so you can like give yourself affirmations. We have so much criticism around how we look um, all the time. So just like finding a practice to like get naked in front of the mirror and just put on your favorite dance song and dance for yourself 
looking at yourself and dancing for yourself, dance sexy for yourself, like really like turn yourself on in the mirror um, and, and send love to parts of yourself that you're criticizing and just be like, this is beautiful. I gave it, I made a baby. I, you know, I, I, you know, I'm focused on work. Like just like I'm thanking, thanking, thanking and sending love to every part of your body. And, um, and then you're sweating and moving and feeling sexy anyway. And it only is going to, again, open up your chakras, which actually attracts when you do that, when you actually sexy dance for yourself, you're opening up your chakras, your creativity center, your second chakra, your root chakra. Um, and what that's doing is actually it's creating an environment for you to attract the friends, the loves, the relationships, the opportunities that you want when you dance and you're opening that kundalini energy for yourself. It really is such a gateway to um, to dreaming and to manifesting. So beautiful. Okay, those are great takeaways. Inspired, inspired action step that we'll leave them with. Thanks to you, Rana. Thank <laughs> you. Um, well, thank you again for all of the goodness and light that you're bringing into our world. And thank you for leading by example. I really truly feel you're one of those heroes leading by example. And thank you for spending time with us today and for your generous heart. I'm so grateful to connect with you. Uh, thank you so much. It takes with no one. And again, the work that you're doing with Glow and the community that you've built is so, again, so inspiring and so game changing. And everyone listening is here because you're cultivating and creating this community. So um, hats off to you and deep bow to you as well. So. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you to our entire team behind the scenes at GLOW. I'm so grateful for your care and commitment to serving our members around the world. Thank you to our teachers for so beautifully sharing your gifts and talents. I'm also grateful to our lovely community of GLOW members. You've supported us since 2008, and because of you, we get to continue to do the work we love. It's the combined support of our team, our teachers, and our community that grants me the privilege to continue to bring you the GLOW podcast. Thank you to Lee Schneider at Red Cub Agency for production support. And the beautiful music you're hearing now is by Carrie Rodriguez and her husband, Luke Jacobs. And remember, take care of yourself because our world needs you. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. You can find The Glow Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or glo.com slash podcast, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Derek Mills. Derek Mills.